Praise the Lord. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Isn't it good to be at church today? Yes. All right. Kids, you are dismissed. They are getting ready. I would not miss our Christmas Eve service. It's going to be so much fun. Our kids are going to sing, and I can't wait. <clears throat> All right. Did you come expecting this morning? Are you expecting to leave exactly like you came? Are you expecting to get something that changes you this morning? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, let's go to the, the Lord in prayer. Father God, we love you and praise you. We thank you for this day. We thank you that this is the day that you have made. Father God, we thank you that your word is alive. I thank you that it, it is life to us. And Lord, we just partake of you today. I thank you, Father God, when, when we behold you, we cannot remain the same. And I thank you that we'll be changed more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if this is your first time here, I want to welcome you. My husband and I are the lead pastors here, and we both are uh, teach. I'm more of a teaching pastor. I'm more of practical, explain it, break it down. Um, and he's an exhorter, a preacher. So if you only come today, you only get half the story. So don't get half the story. Hebrews 12.1, we've been in a series called Running Your Race. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the, the, the Bible gives us motivation. There are people that have gone before us that have accomplished their course. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So we have been in this series, and we're learning that God has a race for you. God has a course that he has specifically designed, created you for something for you to accomplish uh, a, a, a race marked out before you. And you get one chance at this life, and it's really important. It's really important that we finish our course. It's critical work to be done. So some of the things that we've studied in this series, this scripture says to let go of the weights that will slow us down. Sometimes we have past weights. Last week we talked about forgiveness. So important that we walk in forgiveness. We learned that when we are not walking in forgiveness that we are putting ourselves in a prison. So if you, uh, if you weren't here last week and you didn't hear that, you should go back and listen to that because it will set you free. It will set you free. We also learned about the leading of the Holy Spirit, that we have to know how the Holy Spirit leads. He's been given to be our helper. He's been given to be our guide. So we, we, we studied that. So make sure it's so important that you know how to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading so you can follow God's plan for your life. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Today we are going to focus on the Word of God. The Word of God. One of my favorite um, aspects of Jesus, one of my favorite Christmas verses, is the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
So today we're going to talk about the word became flesh. So from this verse in Romans chapter 12, we find out that we can know what God's will is. Is this working? Is this working okay? Okay. We can know what God's will is. Romans 12, 2 tells us, not to be conformed with the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God's word is how we renew our mind. Then, as we renew our mind to God's word, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So God's will for us, God's will for our life is good. Are y'all ready to jump in? Today I'm going to give you one principle, one major principle that I want you to come away with knowing. I'm going to give you three practices. We're going to get really practical, okay? Three practices that are going to help you. Here, I'm going to give you the principle right out of the gate. Here's your principle. The Bible is not an ordinary book. The Bible is alive. The Bible is a living book. It is not like any other book in the world. I'm a reader. I'm a book collector. I spend all my money on books. But there is no book like the Bible. The Bible is a living book. And we're gonna, I'm going to show you that in the Word today. Um, first of all, let's see. Let's just take a brief overview. Let's take a brief overview of our New Testament. So the New Testament begins with the story of Jesus. The Old Testament is everything before Jesus. We have four Gospels. There are three of them that are called the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels means we see it the same, they see it the same way. They tell the story kind of parallel. So the Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all begin the story of Jesus with Jesus as a baby in a manger. John is the fourth Gospel, and it was written a little bit later than the other three. And I love the book of John. First of all, I love John's relationship with Jesus. He was the Apostle John. He was young. He was one of, one of the young ones that hung out with Jesus. And he always referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And a lot of people think, well, he was really cocky. But as you study John, John had a super revelation of the love of God and what it was to be beloved of God. And maybe we'll delve into that sometime soon. And as you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he, he says so much about the love of God. He really understood the love of God. But John is cool, too, because it was written a little bit later. So he gave us some insights and details that the other three couldn't give. Because, you know, that was a crazy world that they lived in. And th there are certain things that they would say, well, there was a woman from a certain city. And they wouldn't reveal her name and wouldn't reveal her city in the other three Gospels because it would threaten her life. When John comes along, he's like, I'm going to tell you who, what, when, and where because she's already gone to heaven. So he gives us some details that we don't have. But he starts off the Christmas story in a different place, and that's where we're going to start today in just a minute. But then after the four Gospels, so we've got four. If you've never delved into the Bible before, you may not know there's four Four stories, it's the same story. It's not chronological. It's the story of Jesus from four different perspectives, okay? So that's our four Gospels. Then we have the book of Acts, which is the history, the first century of the church. And we're still part of that church. We're still making that history. But the book of Acts records the first, uh, the, the times that after Jesus was resurrected. 
okay? And we get, we get the, the story of those people. And there's an example for us of what the church is supposed to look like and what this church is supposed to do and be. And then we get into the, to the letters, or they're called the epistles. And the epistles just means letters. And there's letters written to us. They give us a lot of doctrine. They tell us how to live. They're addressing, uh, Paul wrote a lot of them. There's a lot of correction, a lot of encouragement, a lot of you can do this, and a lot of this is how you do it. Okay, so that's the epistles. And that's all the other books until we get up to the book that's all by itself, the book of Revelation in its own category. Okay, and I bring up that now because in our, in our Bible reading at home, we're in the book of Revelation right now, aren't we? And I know some people, I've had people tell me, I'm scared to read Revelation. I don't read that one. Well, the book of Revelation says everyone that reads this book is blessed. So you don't need to be afraid to read the book of Revelation, okay? So I just want to give you a couple things about the book of Revelation. First of all, the first three chapters are letters to churches. So the first three chapters are during the church age. It's the time period that we're in. It's a time like us, okay? Uh, church, church time. Then we go to chapter 4, and we go into the throne room of heaven. He said, after this... So there's a, a time change at chapter 4, okay? And um, so that's a time, and then you'll notice that all the focus is turned on to the 12 tribes of Judah. So our attention has moved where it's been all about the churches. All the letters written in the New Testament are written to churches, or they're written to pastors of churches, or written by pastors of churches. All this focus on the churches well, at chapter 4, book of Revelation, no mention of the church anymore. Church has been, is gone, okay? And this is, the focus is now on the, the um, Israel again. So there's this time, we are in the church age, okay? So that, that time period after that is not for us. And then I want to give you one more idea about the book of Revelation. It was a vision, Okay, so uh, the Apostle John was given a vision of the times that, similar to what we are at the beginning of those times now, okay? So, I want you to imagine, I was thinking about it, like, what if you were born blind? Uh, and someone tried to explain to you what sight was like. Can you imagine trying to explain to somebody that had never been able to see what sight is like? That would be really hard to do, wouldn't it? Well, you know, we just we, we can see things. Well, what does that mean? Well, so so the Apostle John saw into a time period that was very, very different than the time period he lived in. So the words that he had, he didn't have words like helicopter, airplane, cars, trucks. Think about all the words he did not have. So... Um, just some interesting thoughts about him having this vision of a time that he didn't live in and vocabulary he didn't have. So I just want you to trust that it's okay to read the book of Revelation, okay? And if you want to, you can, we'll, we'll make recommendations for you for books that you can deep dive and study it, which is a wonderful thing to do, but I don't want you avoiding it, okay? So I just wanted to take a moment this morning to address it since that's where we are in our, in our Bible reading, okay? All right, so... John is going to take us into 
the beginning of Jesus from a very different perspective. He's not going to start in Bethlehem. He's not going to start with Jesus as a baby in a manger. John 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If we go down to verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word of God. The word of God, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. John 6, 63, I told you the Bible is not just any book, not like any other book. John 66, 63, Jesus said, the words I have spoken to you they are full of spirit and life. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. The word spirit there is breath. It's not a dead book. It's a book that's still breathing. And it's breathing life into your life. It breathes life into your marriage, into your family. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. You will feel the impact. Something will hit you. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is alive and powerful. That's why we need to read it every day. The word of God is alive and powerful. We're missing our friends on this side, aren't we? We've got a big hole here. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. This is not the only place that the word of God is compared to a sword. It is like a, it's like a scalpel that will do surgery on you. It will do surgery on your past mistakes. It'll do surgery on your hurts. It'll do surgery on your attitude. I had an experience. Um, it's been probably 15 years ago. Uh, the doctors found something, and they sent me to a surgeon. And the surgeon was like, oh, yes, yes, yes. We will, we will remove this. We have this whole plan, this whole thing. And I went back to my doctor. My doctor that sent me was a friend of mine. I had taught his children piano, and you know I knew him just a little bit better. And he said, so what did the surgeon say? What did this? I said, well, you know, he's like got it all set up, and he's wanting to do surgery and all this. And um, I said, but you know, to be honest with you, he just didn't really convince me that it was necessary. He was like, all excited about it and he thought it was going to be cool and all this but he didn't convince me because he was like you know you know Jennifer you're never going to die from this or anything and I was like you know I'm just not really sure that I want to have surgery right um and and my doctor that sent me he said well Jennifer he said here's the thing he said we're surgeons surgeons like to do surgery he said if you don't want to do it that's a perfectly fine option. I was like, I'm glad I dug into that a little bit because I think, uh, I think I'm just fine not doing surgery. And um, 
the thing ended up going away. So the word of God did surgery, not an issue. But uh, the word of God is like a sword. It will do surgery on your lifestyle, improve your attitude, improve, improve your parenting, improve how you spend your time, improve how you spend your money. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. So it's really cool that the word, you can leave that up there. It's really cool that the word of God cuts between soul and spirit. Soul is that part of, that's me. It's my mind, my will, what I want, my ideas. Spirit is the part of me that's connected to God, where God speaks to me. And the Holy Spirit divides between. You know, when we're caught in those situations and we're like, I just wish I knew. I just wish I knew what God wanted me to do. I just wish I knew what I was supposed to do. Well, the word of God cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. Uh, I've heard it said, don't, don't read the Bible. Let the Bible read you. Let the Bible read you. Keep going. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Word of God, as we get into the Word of God, it exposes stuff. It brings to light. You know, you can, you can try to convince other people of what your motive is. And you can even convince yourself. But God will show you the truth. When we need correcting, he'll correct us. And it's good, because it will help us. It will help us. As we get into the word, it will lead us to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. It's so important that we don't change the Bible to fit how we live. The Bible doesn't change with, you know, our culture, times change, people do things differently. But, you know, we're not supposed to change the Bible to fit how we live. We're supposed to change how we live to fit the Bible. Because it's truth. It's powerful. It's alive. It's the breath of God into your life. It's very important that we have the right attitude towards the Bible. Okay? So everybody that picks up the Bible, the attitude that you have towards it will determine what you get out of it. Okay? So if we try to deconstruct it, that's a big thing now. It's deconstructing the Bible. If we try to deconstruct it, it will ruin its power. So with the right attitude, we receive it, we accept it, and we believe it. And I'm going to show you that. Reading the Bible every day with the right attitude will add so much value to every part of your life. Reading the Bible will add so much value to every part of your life. It's powerful. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. It adds value because it's truth. It's truth. Truth is truth. 
2 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of truth, I said the right attitude, the first thing we do is we receive it, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So this is the attitude we must come to the word of God. We have to receive it, accept it, believe it. God, it's your word. It's your word. Let it become, let it become my word. Let it become my reality. Let it become my life. I heard a cool story this week um, about two ministers that were, were going into China. This, this happened about 10 years ago. And they were in China. Uh, they were doing some work with the, the underground church in China. In China, um, uh, Pastor Brad and I went to China, and you would see, like, I remember seeing a Catholic church. That's the only church I remember. Do you remember how many churches we saw? We went to Shanghai, which is one of the largest cities in the world, and we went all the way across up China uh, to Beijing, which is also one of the largest cities in the world, and we saw one church, and it was a Catholic church. Well, the Chinese are not allowed to attend that church. That is for Europeans. The, uh, the Chinese government wants China to be welcoming to world business and world interaction. So they allow churches there, but the Chinese people are not allowed to attend them. Um, I'm sure there's, there's probably some Protestant churches there, but we didn't see them. Uh, but, but anyway, so, so these two ministers, they were going into China regularly at the time, and uh, they were working some with the underground church. The underground church is... And they say it's the, the greatest revival happening on the face of the earth. And the, the fastest growing church is in the underground church in China. Um, that's the church they, um, we know someone that um, had a church there, if, if you want to call it a church. And they had to all be like quick and ready. Uh, we can't meet today or, or we're moving to here because if they catch on to them, you know, the government doesn't allow it. And so they could be killed very dangerous. So anyway, these two that are there, they were doing some work with the underground, but that was that was secret. And then they were doing some other things there that were that was the, the face of why they were there. And they were approached by the dean of the business school of the University of Beijing. And he came up to them and said, um, you know, I know that, that you're Christian ministers. And he said, I want you to come into the University of Beijing and speak to our master's program. And I want you to teach them Judeo ethics for business. He said, now, we don't want anything about Jesus. He's, we want you to leave the Jesus part out. And we want you to teach, just teach the Judeo ethics for business. Because we know that it is very good for business. And so we want those ethics. And they were like, yeah, sure, we can do that. And so they went in and they taught Judeo ethics in business, and the dean got born again. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Do y'all get excited about things like that? Silas was telling me yesterday, I think, 
that uh, one of his friends who is a, a wonderful businessman in Greenville County said that all the top, Silas is interested in um, construction, he's, he's looking at that, all the top general contractors, are we talking in Greenville? Is that what we were talking about, the reference? Uh, all the top general contractors, well, first of all, they're killing it, really busy right now, but all the top ones are Christian organizations. And he said, there's a reason for that. Uh, because the word of God will prosper your life. The word of God will prosper your life, okay? Even this man in China recognized that. He's like, we don't, we don't need Jesus. We don't want Jesus, but we want what you know. You know stuff we don't know. But praise God, he accepted Jesus. So even the ungodly can recognize that the word of God will help your life succeed. So three practices, okay? Three practices that will help you relate to the Bible. All right, so I had people say, I don't know, I don't get anything out of it, I don't know. Okay, so these are going to help you. Three practices to help you relate to the Bible. Number one, start your day by reading the Bible. Start your day, okay? If you have three minutes, okay, you don't have to spend an hour. If you have three minutes, read, read a psalm and a proverb. If you have 15 minutes... You can read a portion of the Old Testament, a portion of the New Testament, and your psalm and your proverb. All right, so I'm going to unveil uh, for, the un for the next year, for 2024, we are, going to, uh, we are going to, instead of just reading the New Testament like we've been doing, we are going to do a portion of the Old Testament, a portion of the New Testament, a psalm, and a proverb in your daily reading, Okay. So you'll be able to click the link and access it. It's the same thing as the one-year Bible. If you want to get, if you have or want to get a one-year Bible, it'll already be organized for you and organized by date. But, um, and then you can choose what you have time for and what you can get to, okay? But it's worth it. Change your life. We're talking 15 minutes, okay? I bet most of you scroll at least 15 minutes a day, if you added it up. Okay, we're talking about 15 minutes of the powerful life of God breathing into your life or, you know, dumbing you down. So you know what is the better, better choice, right? All right, so it's a great, it's going to, we do it together. It's so cool. We do it together. It's great for the family dynamic. It means we can talk about things just like I could talk about, hey, we're doing Revelation right now. Y'all, don't shy away from Revelation because we're all doing it together right now, okay? All right, Psalm 119. Psalm is in the Old Testament. It is the longest book of the Bible. And chapter 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Every verse in Psalm 119 is about the Word of God. Okay, we're looking at Psalm 119, 147. I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and I put my hope in your words. You know, if you just come to church and get a little bit of encouragement until the next time you happen to make it again, that's not the purpose. That is not what we're here for. The purpose is, is that you get the tools that you need, that you get inspired and encouraged to go home and be different, to let the word of God change your life. That's what we're here for, okay? All right, 
it's changing us. Let it encourage you. When you get into the word, let it encourage you. If you're doing the three-minute thing and you're doing the psalm and the proverb, then kind of sit in it for a minute. Think about it. You know, psalms are sometimes a little bit poetic. Poetry, you have to work a little bit to think about it. Think about it. Proverbs are, I think proverbs are pretty straightforward. Sit in it and let it speak to you. Let it encourage you. Let it seek in. And I promise you, it will give you hope for your day. It will give you hope. I read my Bible every day. But the days that I read my Bible first are better. The days that I read my Bible first are better. All right. So start your day by reading the Bible. Some part of it, okay? Number two, so start your days, number one. Number two, study it. Joshua 1.8, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. Meditate. Think about it. Study it. Read some commentaries on it. Get some help. I read commentaries. Pastor Brad, do you read commentaries? You read things that help you understand it? And then he goes on to say, meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. This is not a read it, walk away from it. This is read it, see it, do it. Changes your life. Changes everything. Read it, walk away from it. It doesn't change anything in your life. Right? All right. Only then meditate on it. Make sure you obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. So we have to obey, and then we'll prosper. That word prosper there is really cool. That word prosper means to push you up. So in other words, you get as far as you can get, and God will push you further. Isn't that good? How would, you, how would you like to get further than you can get on your own? Yes. We want to. Woo, we want to, right? <laughs> All right. So, challenge. Commit 2024. What I'm wanting to do is as the year comes to a close, I'm wanting to get on your radar for what you're going to do in 2024. All right. Commit 2024 to finding out if this promise is true. Just see, is it true? All right, I'm going to give you three hints to study your Bible before we get to number three. First of all, get a translation that you like. All right? The Bible was written in three different languages. Uh, something really cool about the Bible is that the original manuscripts still exist. When we were in England, we got to see some cool, really old manuscripts. Um, they're not originals, but they were really, really old. Uh, <clears throat> so the originals still exist, okay? Um, there are three types of Bible translations. The first one is called formal equivalency, okay? And this is helpful as you're picking out which Bible you want, okay? Formal equivalency is an exact word-for-word -word translation. Exactly. And so that means that even, like, when you're going from one language to another, um, 
that sometimes it sounds kind of wonky when it goes word for word because we speak in a different order. But in a formal equivalency, even the, the sentence structure stays the same. So if this was at the end of the sentence, it's going to be at the end of the sentence in English when they translate it, okay? And these translations go back to the originals. So all the new translations, most of the new translations are really good. So formal equivalency, some examples of this are the King James Version, KJV, the New King James Version, a little easier to read than the King James, the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, that's one that I really like, the ESV, the English Standard Version, that's one I'm reading now. All right, so those are formal equivalency. Functional equivalency is the second, second category. It is an exact translation, but it's thought by thought. So the sentence structure can change. So instead of it being word, 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 it's, okay, what is, what is this thought? Now let's translate that thought, okay? So it can read a little easier. And I love functional equivalency. So some examples of those are the New Living Translation, the Good News Translation, the Today's English Version. Those are some examples of your functional equivalency. The New International Version does some of both. A hundred scholars worked on it. It came out in 1987. It has uh, been the highest um, best-selling version since it came out in 1987. It, before that, it was the King James Version. Some people are very passionate that the King James Version is the only good version, and it is a translation. Um, and it was translated with words that we don't use as much anymore. If you, love trans if you love that one, there's some beautiful things about it, but it is not the only good one, okay? So you don't have to be afraid. Then there's a, a third category called the paraphrase. A paraphrase is not an exact translation. It's saying it all again, but how the author would say it, okay? So when I stand up here and tell you, explain things to you, I'm kind of paraphrasing, all right? So paraphrases can be really helpful when we're in tune with, um, you know, a more direct translation. It can be really helpful. And then sometimes, you know, it, it might water it down a little bit. So we use them all for study. I like, I have lots of Bibles and I use them all. Okay, I want to give you some examples. Some examples of paraphrases are the Living Bible. I remember my grandmother uh, had a big fat green Living Bible and um, the Message Bible is one of the newer ones, the Message Bible. All right, so here's some examples of 1 Corinthians 14, okay? King James Version. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. All right, what's our next one? NIV. Same verse. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. All right, now we're going to go to the message. And this is the message. Sometimes it's like really long. I just picked part of it. Love never gives up. Love cares for mother, others more than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head, and it keeps going. Okay? So that gives you a really good example. So... Get a translation you like, start where you are, read it, and then step up if you need to. 
get a study Bible. A study Bible is a Bible that has a commentary at the bottom. Um, one that I like is an old one called Dake's Study Bible. Uh, Jonah has one called the New Life, what is it called? The New Spirit-Filled Bible. Do you like it? He loves it. He highly recommends it. The New Spirit-Filled Life Bible, okay? Um, another one that I haven't used is the Life Application Bible. All right, that's a study Bible. It's going to have little notes at the bottom that's going to help make it make sense sometimes. Or it'll say, you know what, the translators could have chosen this word or this word, and they chose that one. And you can go, hmm, and it gives you something to think about, okay? So another wonderful thing to do, and this is something that our vision for the new year for 2024, is we would like for you to get into a small group. We would like to have small groups like Sunday school where you can dig deeper into the word of God. What you get on Sunday mornings? This is just introductory. This is, we should be going further, okay? So those are some things we are gonna, gonna be offering. It's where you can delve deeper into the Bible and have accountability. So, number three. Number one was read it in the morning. Number two, study your Bible. Number three, to help you relate to the Bible, to the Word of God. Stand firm, realizing the Word of God is a weapon. Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The Word of God is a weapon. You have an enemy that is scheming to stop the plan of God in your life, that does not want you to finish your course, that does not want you to run your race well. But the word of God is a weapon against your enemy. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We see Jesus do this. When in the Gospels, when the enemy came to attack Jesus, Jesus always responded with his weapon, which was the word of God. Every time. Every time Jesus was attacked, this is what Jesus did. He responded with the word of God. You can't use it if you don't know it. Right? Can't use it if you don't know it. So depression tries to come on you, and you, the word of God comes out. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? When you're needing direction, David said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Your word lights my path. I have a verse for every situation in my life. You need to have a verse for every situation in your life. The word of God is your weapon. This is how you make it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and win. The word of God is your weapon. Um, I have a friend who is, her and her husband pastor a church, and she said that she was just constantly giving out verses to people. 
giving out verses to people, giving out verses to people, and the Lord told her, stop that. Now that's an interesting thing for the Lord to tell somebody to do, isn't it? He told her, he said, it's time for some of those people to start getting into the word of God for themselves. They need to find their own verses. Because usually things are, are you value them by what you pay for them. And if it comes cheap and easy, that's usually the value you place on it. Get into the word. Man, it's so precious when, when the word of God comes alive to you and the very thing you need is just like it's glowing in there just for you. That's when you take that and you write it down and you hold on to it and you meditate on that and you think of it first thing and you think of it last thing and you think of it all the moments in the day. God will give you, he'll breathe life into your situation. All right, let's close with this. The Bible points me to Jesus. The Bible isn't about accumulating knowledge like other books are. The Bible points you to Jesus. God's word is powerful. We don't go to the word defending our right, defending us, defending our choices. We go to the word of God and we let it change us. The Bible shows us how to become like Jesus. I have to let it do a work inside of me. If I'm going to become like Jesus, it means I'm going to have to change, right? I'm going to have to leave some things behind. It's going to change me. The Bible instructs me to do what Jesus did. The Bible instructs me to do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Let's look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What motivated the Father? For God so loved the world. Love motivated the Father. Love motivated that he gave. What did he do? He gave. The word love there is agape. Agape is the God kind of love. Agape occurs when an individual sees, recognizes, understands, or appreciates the value of an object or a person. Agape is such a beautiful word. The word says that we love him because he first loved us. We weren't capable of loving him until he loved us first. It's the agape, that's the God kind of love. The God kind of love sees value. God saw value in humanity. He saw value, he so valued you. You were so precious in his sight that he sent Jesus. Okay, so that's John 3.16. A lot of people know John 3.16. Let's close with 1 John. 316. Do you know that one? 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. And this is how we know what love is. The word of God will change us. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we love you and praise you. We love you and we praise you 
we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is light and life. We thank you, Father God, that we are changed as we behold you. As we behold you, we become more like you. Father, we worship you. Lord, we just make a commitment to know you, to know Jesus, to know your plan and your purpose for our life. That we would not be satisfied having the form of this world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And then we'll know that knowable will of God, that good, pleasing, perfect will of God, perfect because it's your perfect design for us. Thank you, Father God. Thank you that you've given us your word. Thank you, Father God, that we cannot complete our journey without it. We praise you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you if you need to make a personal commitment. If you haven't known Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you raise your hand? going to pray together this morning. If you're like, I think today is my day to make that decision. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Now just everybody stand to your feet. And let's just make a commitment in our heart to know him more. Father, we want to know you. We want to we run our race and finish our course. We want to do what you've called us to do. Be what you've called us to be. We thank you, Lord.